This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Cheryl Gottschall. Cheryl had a distressing near-death experience. Today, we're going to talk about that and more. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining me and welcome. Thanks for the invitation. It's my pleasure. All right, Cheryl. A lot of my guests, if not all of them, love to hear near-death experiences. So if you don't mind, can we start on the day you're started? Yes, sure. Um, I'd been ill for 10 years. I had a chronic illness that was... um, you know, in and out of hospital to have surgery, sent home, wasn't happening. Um, so at one particular point in that 10 years, uh, there was three years of acute illness where I had trouble uh, walking, um, getting up without my heart jumping out of my chest. Um, anyway, I tried various uh, natural remedies traditional remedies, um, been through the whole gamut. In the end, I a friend took me to a hands-on healer. I went and had a session. We came home that day. He left and I was laying on my um, sofa in the lounge room. And uh, while I was laying there, I could feel my heart rate getting slower and slower and slower. And uh, out of the inside of my um, right elbow, uh, every time my heart beat, I could feel a like a spurt of my energy um, uh, emitting from inside there. So, so just inside this part here, every time my heart beat, it's just going like this, like I've sprung an energy leak, right? Mm. Anyway, um, so I'm laying there and um, the colours in the, the room didn't change, but some became more pronounced and... I looked over and what I saw was um, coming out of the wall of my living room was something like an ice cream cone on its side with the narrow part coming out of the wall and then coming into the getting wider at the other end, tilting so it became horizontal like this in the middle of the living room. The diameter was about um, six feet and uh, and it was swirling. And the other part of it, it was very malleable. You know, it was very soft and fluid. But what happened was um, this strong gravitational force started pulling towards me to suck me into wherever that thing had come from. <laughs> um, so I'm laying on the couch just watching this, thinking, what the heck is this? And... Um, I felt uh, it was as it was pulling, I split off from my body and um, the part of me that was non-physical was clinging onto the back of the sofa like this, not wanting to be dragged in. Uh, and But my physical body, I'm just lying there watching nonchalantly, really, very strange, nonchalantly, unemotional, just watching the whole situation. But this part of me is non-physical feeling terror, utmost terror, uh, and that if I let go and allowed myself to be dragged into this 
you know, gravi- swirling vortex with this strong gravitational pull that I wouldn't be coming back. I don't know where I'd go, but I wouldn't be coming back. And the reason I was very terrified of that was because um, a few years earlier I had had a close encounter where I had the same with what I think were non-human intelligences appearing beside my bed. And I, it was the same sense of terror, terror struck to the core. Um, so uh, I was struggling not to be pulled in there. And then the next thing, a ticker tape went through my vision or my mind and my vision. It was like the ones that they used to get in the wartime with their telegram messages going through. And on that was the name of my daughter, and it just kept feeding through and feeding through. And as soon as I could read that it was her name, everything just stopped. It just went back to normal. Uh, the vortex disappeared. And, um, yeah, the, my energy levels just sort of, they were still very low, but I stopped, um, the, the leak in the energy stopped. So I didn't actually go down there because through that tunnel, like some people do, but they don't. Not everyone has a, a terror, terrified feeling about doing that. I did. Um, and all I can relate it back to is that, um, it, you know, it related to that experience that I'd had earlier. So um, it wasn't a full-blown near-death experience. I don't know what I would have met if I went down there, um, but uh, I struggled enough for it not to eventually take place. Thank you for sharing that. It's interesting because you could have gone down the tunnel and still come back, but it seems like that if, from what you're saying, that you felt if you did, you weren't coming back. Mm, yeah. I felt like there was a, um, um, there was a true malevolence about it. It wasn't just my own fear. It was malevolence. And I didn't like that, you know, um, I'm not afraid of dying. Um, a lot of people say that, but, you know, we're all f- afraid of the way we'll die, of course. But that wasn't my concern at that time. I didn't think I was going to die. I was just ill. But, um, yeah, that malevolence, it was just oozing out of that that vortex. Didn't like it at all. So there was a malevolent energy coming out of the vortex, but you didn't sense any beings. No, no, nope. Was there anything going on in your life at the time that you feel like why you would deserve or why would you end up in a malevolent place? Well, um, like I said, I was in the middle of an acute part of my illness um, and a lot of strange things were happening around me at that time. There was, um, you know, I, I wake up in the middle, I wake up in the middle of the night one time and um, to a hand grabbing my ankle um, when I looked, there was nobody there. Um, I'd had some uh, out-of-body experiences previously. I had um, sense of presences in the house um, and, and a whole lot of other paranormal things going on, a bilocation experience, um, being a violet light shining on me through the window when I was with the healer. She couldn't see it, but I could see I'm Look, I'm, I can see it. I'm just lit up in this violet ray of light. Can you see it? She said, no, I can't see it. I'm thinking maybe I'm going a bit crazy, but there was a whole lot of paranormal experiences that got triggered through this illness, which later on I discovered, um, and to to this day I consider it 
a uh, type of initiation experience, which then sort of led me on to um, looking more deeply into shamanism and shamanic practices, which I actually now teach. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very strange journey that we can go on. These experiences can take us on. Are you saying that your entire illness was due to a shamanic initiation or when the person was laying their hands on you and trying to help you? No, nothing to do with that person. I think the entire illness, because there are uh, people talk about creative illnesses um, and, you know, that they can serve a purpose in our life. And if you accept that we have a soul, then I think the, you know, the soul has a plan. And sometimes when we get off track, there are things that can happen that can bring us back on track. And what happened to me after that was even though I was already on a, on a, a natural health track and uh, had been a long-term UFO investigator, um, which I feel is what I'm here to do, um, and, um, you know, interest, had a long-term interest in near-death experiences, et cetera, and exploring the afterlife. Went on a search for God, did a home Bible study course for three years. Um, I felt like I hadn't really quite gotten there yet. I hadn't gone deeply enough into it. So, Looking back on that, which happened during the 90s, so it's going back some years, um, it, it sort of deepened the course that I was on. So I took more notice of things that perhaps I may have let slip by me at, at various times. So after you had that experience, did it affect you any way? Did you have any negative after effects or did you change your life afterwards? No, I didn't have any negative after effects. Um, I don't think that it changed my life. It just uh, made me step more into it because sometimes I think that we don't fully embody our full selves in this life, you know. So I think it served that purpose to be more of who I really am, to step up to the plate, to, to um, you know, put my hand up to spirit and say, I'm here now, I'm here. I'm re- I'm really ready. Did it give you any abilities that you didn't have before, like clairaudience, clairvoyance, etc.? Mm-hmm. I was having those experiences um, where I would know things about people, which I didn't want to know. Actually, <laughs> it was spontaneous knowing. You know, I don't know. I'm not looking. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I didn't seek that out. It just it just happened. Um, I've had automatic writing experiences. Um, uh, but then the interesting thing is, oh, I had a, I would be very sensitive to people's energy um, and uh, I could pick up negative energy like a mile off and I'd go, oh, that person's walking towards me. I'd go the other direction, you know. Mm. There was that sort of real sense of, um, and, and frankly, that could have been because my own energy was very low. So anytime I was around someone, that would be, you know, siphoning off any physical energy or anything going on between us like that, I would, you know, that red flag could come up. But um, I was just very sensitive to a lot of things, sounds, bright lights, um, rough fabrics. I became what you call a highly sensitive person, which uh, Dr. Elaine Aron um, talks about in her book about highly sensitive people. So, yeah, yeah. I didn't like crowds. 
I still don't like crowds. I prefer to live a, uh, a quieter, simpler life. Certainly became less materialistic. Um, and, um, you know, over time, less concerned about what other people thought about me, those sorts of things, yeah. You just mentioned that you were low energy at the time. Do you think because you were low energy, that's maybe why you could have possibly went to a lower realm? Anything's possible. I don't know. Um, I didn't go to to that realm but um, that I'm aware of, but I certainly connected with something that was malevolent. Maybe I should have said you were pulled to that lower realm or being yeah, pulled. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but something happened. Um, and, and people have said to me, a couple of people have said to me since, um, what was the reason that you thought that seeing your daughter's name um, sort of triggered it all stopping? Um, you know, do you think it was because of your connection with her or there's a purpose you need to serve in her life, blah, blah, blah? Um, I don't know. I'm not really sure. Um, uh, I just can't answer that. Yeah. yeah. It seems when people start to remember their earthly life or family members, it somehow pulls them back into this realm. And that mm. kind of sounds like you. what happened to you. Yeah. Why, yeah. You, why you thought about her, I don't know. And why did it appear on a ticker tape? Yeah. <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> too, bad there wasn't, too bad there wasn't any follow-up news, yes. you know. Yes, exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, it got me very interested in, in these types of um, side effects with people uh, who have near-death experiences and close encounter experiences, and they're very, very similar, mm-hmm. very similar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, and I, I've, I remember reading, um, uh, what's her name, uh, Dr. Rhea White, she coined a term exceptional human experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, on, on the website, she's since passed away, but on a website um, which is still operating called ehe.org, um, people can go there and have a look at exceptional human experiences and how they, the types of things that are in that long list and how they can trigger these sort of transformational or, um, yeah, transformational, deepening, potentiating um, uh, types of experiences that make them become more uh, focused, like we're being hothoused somehow. Because you know what happens to a plant when you put it in a hothouse. It just, you know, it blooms. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier that you had a bilocation experience. What is that? <laughs> well, it's where you can be in two places at once. Be aware of being in two places at once. So what happened for me, I was at a workshop while I was ill, by the way, and looking for any sort of healing, but this was not in the acute phase. Um and we're in, uh, there were about eight of us, I think it was, that were, it was in the evening. We're inside the facilitator's home at a place called Mount Tambourine. Beautiful place, very lush and green um, and high up. And uh, we were sitting around in a circle and we just seemed to click into this sense of no time and no space. All of us, all at once. And it was like we're in a void of some description. And in that moment, I lifted up out of my body 
and I went outside and I landed gently down under a tree. But the difference was that I could feel the grass, I could feel the coolness of the evening grass, um, and I could feel the grass under my feet. So I was, as far as I'm concerned, I was somehow uh, utilising my physical senses to be aware of being in that place and I was looking around uh, and at the same time I was still in the room with all these people looking at them too. So my awareness was in both places um, at the same time. Has that only happened to you once? That did, yes, only once, yeah. Were you guys doing like a group meditation or what were you doing that got you into that? Uh, We had just um, come together to sit after we'd had some exercise um, and we just came to sit together in a circle and she said, okay, just sit quietly and breathe and sit. And we just sat there quietly, just looking at the person across in the circle and then bang, this sort of connection of timelessness, no time, no space just happened to all of us, to all of us. Um, I never thought to ask them, did they sort of go somewhere else? Yeah, that was my next question. <laughs> yes, I never thought to ask that at the time. Yeah, because I was so amazed at what the heck's going on, you know, with me. What's this? Yeah, so it was just like a string of strange things that happened. Mm. All right. Well, you were mentioning about near-death experiences and seeing aliens or ships. Mm. I'm guessing that you've done some of your own NDE research. Can you give us some accounts of that yes sure um there was one because i run a monthly afterlife discussion group and um well it was until just recently but um so um there was a woman who came and she spoke about her uh near-death experience and she was 12 at the time i think she was at the time of the experience but i think she was around she's around 60-ish today and what happened was she'd gone into hospital to have, uh, I think it was a tonsils out or I can't quite remember now, but the anesthesiologist didn't get the mix of the gases right. So she wasn't getting enough oxygen and she left her body. She left her body. They basically, the whole thing basically killed her on the table. She left her body um, and she just went off and she went up and she went down into a tunnel, so a classic, you know, tunnel with a lot of NDEs speak about. And she said there was a light at the end, but there were streams of people and lines going towards the light. But there are also streams of people coming back from the light. And she's going, She's they're all behind each other, and she looks over to the stream coming back from the light, and she sees what she thinks as a 12-year-old, is a small, deformed little boy. And she thinks, oh, poor little thing. Oh, that's so sad to see him like that. Anyway, she comes back to her body and um, she goes on and lives a life. Years later, she comes to our UFO meeting and she walks in the door and she sees up on the screen someone had been talking about these little grey aliens that some people talk about during abduction experiences and she sees a, a, an image of a grey alien up on the screen and she's just flabbergasted because that's exactly what she saw of, of uh, the depiction of what she saw when she was uh, having the NDE. So what she now thinks is that she saw this little grey alien 
back in this stream of humans coming back from the light, which makes one question, who do we really meet when we go, you know, and have these experiences? Um, that, because I, you know, my own um, research shows that aliens can manipulate our minds, our perceptions, um, create scenarios, can take on forms of loved ones, um, and, it, it, you know, it sort of casts a bit of a wider net about the whole afterlife for me, um, about reincarnation. Are they involved in, in human reincarnation process? Are they involved in um, um, sending us to places where we need to go? I mean, it's a big question. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, the question of are we alone in the universe really intersects strongly with uh, you know, what happens after we die. Do you think that there are a lot of non-human intelligences? Could be, a- we would perceive them as aliens or angels or who knows what out in the astral world or whatever the dimension you want to call that? Yes. We don't really know who or what populates those other dimensions. Um, we see images that are presented to us, um, you know, um, but and we think that they are loved ones, and they could very well be. They could very well be, but in some cases they may not be. Uh, and I don't know how you confirm that. I really don't. What about if we're all just energy, and so we're here in the earthly realm, we're human, but we go back there, we're energy, and then you know we go to other planets, and which would be considered alien to us here. Yeah, I think that's very possible and highly probable, actually. I don't see any reason why humans have to only incarnate on planet Earth. They can certainly um, incarnate on other planets or in other uh, extraterrestrial cultures or cosmic cultures, whatever that means, whether they're living beings who come from another planet or whether they're... um, you know, um, interdimensional visitors or time travellers or, you know, who've got a whole handle on, you know, consciousness and cloning. I really don't know. And I don't know how you can uh, find out either way. Mm-hmm. Are you still a UFO re- <coughs> I'm sorry. Are you still a UFO researcher? Yes, I am. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I'm working, I'm working with uh, UFO Research Queensland in Brisbane. How do you think the ships are getting here over those vast distances? Are they traveling through wormholes? Are they traveling in the astral and then popping out into this realm? Or do they have some other means of travel faster than light that we don't understand? Well, I think we have to remind ourselves that if we're talking about visitors from other um, planets, just that alone, Mm -hmm. um, then... You know, this is an advanced, these are advanced species who have technology that is way beyond what we have. Mm -hmm. And it's going to seem, you know, to people throughout our history, they would have seemed like they were gods, which they did, I think. Um, But they have uh, technology that can do anything and things that we haven't even thought of. Mm -hmm. I was just curious if you had any ideas of like how they were doing it. No, um, I'm the wrong person to ask. That. <laughs> You're not a nuts and bolts girl. I am, but uh, in regard to collecting witness testimony, uh, I'm certainly not not a techno- technologically minded person. That's not my forte. Uh, but there are people in the UFO community who who are. Um, 
but um, yeah, I'm much more interested in the people who are involved, the types of people who seem to be predisposed to having unusual experiences, mm-hmm. um, and why? Why are they predisposed to having these experiences? Mm-hmm. You know, what what makes them different from other people? I was talking to somebody yesterday, and I never really thought about this, and she was telling me that. The reason why she was contacted this life is because she was sent here. That was like her sole contract. So I, I, you know, I I was like, well, it totally makes sense. You know, why would they just pick some random child out of nowhere? They didn't. They already sent her here this lifetime. Yeah. And there are cases where people talk about um, that, uh, you know, like their their extraterrestrial walk-ins, for example. Um, And there's one case in Australia that's, probably quite obscure to most people. Um, funny, um, um, there's a, a book written called, um, <laughs> just when you want to remember these things, you can't remember them. <laughs> It'll come to me while we're talking. But he, he claimed to be an extraterrestrial who um, came here for a mission, left behind his family wherever he was, um, came here, walked into the body of a young boy who was, um, you know, about to die and took on that form so that he could live a human life and complete the mission here. Hmm. All types of good reasons for to think that something like that might be true, I think, because extraterrestrials, let's, let's just say non-human intelligences, let's say that, but I think that work with technology some, it's, it appears to me that some of them have figured out a way, you know, to clone and to transfer consciousness of their own people. So why wouldn't it make sense that they have figured out how to transfer consciousness from uh, one of their own to a human body so that they could then go on and live a life as a human who would then, uh, it, it would overcome a lot of obstacles, for example, if they'd had, uh, there'd be biological problems for them to coming here. You know, you've got to think about when different cultures come together and one is more advanced than the other, um, you know, cultures can, uh, they can bring diseases, for example. We know all about that now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, it, there are practical reasons to do something like that and I think it's just not impossible. To us now, though, it seems a bit, science fiction but you know science fiction is fast becoming science fact mm-hmm. when do you think full disclosure will happen here on earth yeah that's a good question <laughs> i don't think it's on anyone's voting ballot at this time <laughs> um i don't even know if that's the plan um i think it will probably happen as humanity grows into an ability to accept that we are not alone in the universe. Mind you, that's happening quite fast now um, with what's been happening with the uh, the Navy footage of the pilots and uh, that's, you know, the, and the Pentagon says, yes, we don't know what they are, they're not ours, and China says they're not ours and Russia says they're not ours. So who, whose are they? Um, so... Um, Yes, that I mean, that could happen quite unexpectedly, but when? I don't know. I, I think we're still a long way from that. Hmm, still a long way. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> so have you personally seen a UFO? I've seen a few, actually, yes. Really? Can you tell us yeah. about them? Sure. Probably the most spectacular was because um, there were other witnesses with me 
Um, I was always, I've always seen them with other people, but only one other person. But this one happened in 1992, where our UFO Research Queensland had organised the Skywatch, and we'd gone to a place west of where I am, about 45 minutes to a place called Wyvernhoe Dam. And um, we were camping there overnight. It was about 3 a.m. Uh, and we have a roster all night. So we had like three or four people on for a two-hour or three-hour roster. So someone's looking at the sky the whole night and recording what they see. So about 3 a.m., though, the three guys who are uh, rostered to watch the skies, um, they saw what they thought was an orange light up high. And they got the binoculars and they could see that it was three separate lights but very close. So one of them ran down and ran through the camp and woke up about eight of us. And um, we went, um, I remember running over the the, uh, sort of small uh, hill to the other side where the water was. And as I reached the top of the, the hill, uh, the first thing I was doing was looking down at the ground because I'd forgotten to put my shoes on and it was a bit stony, um, and was that um, I could see the reflection of these three orange objects on the water. So I'm looking down like this and then I look up and here they are in the sky. So they were fairly low, low enough to be able to reflect on the water. Um, so they, they were about, uh, I probably think about, 200, 300 metres off from the water's edge. Uh, and at that distance, they were probably about, I don't know, about one, one and a half to two metres in diameter in reality, okay? Football-shaped, glowing orange, like if you blow on a burning coal, that sort of bright orange. Um, and they were travelling slowly, very slowly, very slowly, enough for us to get a good eyeful and we're standing there watching them, all, all of us. And one went out like that, like someone had switched the light off. Another one went very slowly off into the distance and then just disappeared, went, went out as well. The other one uh, went over the water to the other side because we were camping on one side of an inlet, so which you could drive around to. So it went very slowly over to the other side and went down through the trees to the ground. So some of the men got in a car, they drove around there to see what they could find, thinking, some of them thinking that's a um, hoax, a hoax device, you know, a Chinese lantern or something, because in those days, in 1992, we didn't have Chinese lanterns in Australia. I don't think you could even order them. You know, you couldn't get things online like that in those days. This is pre-internet, right? So um, they didn't see anything. So the next morning they went back in the daylight, couldn't find anything, no no burn marks on trees, nothing on the ground, couldn't find any device on the ground, nothing, no signs that anything had landed there. And it was a real mystery as to what the heck it was that we'd seen because the week before we'd been sending out these mental thoughts, we wanted to make communication. I guess it was a pre-C5 experience, Hmm. wanting to make communication, you know, um, and um, I don't think we even heard about CE5s then. So, which be, which for those who don't know means mm-hmm. human-initiated contact. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was it. They sound like they were pretty small, one and a half meters, you were saying. Do you think that they could be more alien probes? Yes. 
I don't think there was anything in them. Mm. Um, yeah, well, what they were, I don't know. Well, you just got to wonder what were they doing there? Uh, we were out in the middle of nowhere, you've got to remember, okay? There's no one around except for we were, I think we were the only ones in the camp at that night or maybe there were a couple of others dotted but way away from us mm. and no one else was up. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Very strange. Do you think greys could be some type of biomechanoid robot probes? Yeah, I think that's highly highly possible. Um, if you've got uh, if you've got um, like cyborgs, I suppose some of them have they have skin that's you know like like human skin on the outside, but mm-hmm. who knows what they are like on the inside? Um, and it makes sense if you're going to go to another planet, you wouldn't go, like the reasons I said before, practical reasons, you wouldn't go down there because of contaminants that you may be affected by, right? You would send um, something or someone that could withstand that and wouldn't be affected biologically. Right. Have you ever experienced an ET? Yes, I have, yeah. Have you experienced it in waking life, like not in an OBE or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. So it was... um, it was back in 1990 or 91, uh, and I had woken up about in the early hours of the morning, and I don't know why I woke up, but I something woke me up. And to see these three small beings, these three small grey beings standing beside the bed in about a one-metre distance between my side of the bed and the wall. Behind them was a window, outside was a street light. So the streetlight was shining in and silhouetting them. So I didn't actually, couldn't actually see their faces, the details of their faces, but somehow I have a memory of seeing their these large, dark wraparound eyes. I don't know how, but there you go. Um, and they stood there looking at me. They didn't move. And I'm looking at them, and I was, this is where that straight, same terror-struck experience happened right. with strong sense of malevolence about these three small beings. My ex-husband was in the bed next to me. He suffered from insomnia at the time. He didn't move, which is very common in these types of experiences. Um, whether whether the other person is, their consciousness is suppressed, I don't know. Um, and I did a very strange thing. I pulled the sheet up over my head <laughs> I started saying the Lord's Prayer spontaneously. spontaneously. I didn't even know. I still knew it. I had learned it in Sunday school. Here I am. I can't remember how old I was, but um, 30-ish, something or other. And, um, yeah, and you know, because that's smart, isn't it? <laughs> can't see them. They won't hurt me. But there was this really strong sense of malevolence about them. Um, the next thing I know, I'm waking up in the morning. Like a split second later, I'm waking up in the morning. Had no memory of what had happened until later, just after lunch, and then something triggered my memory and and it was like, whoa, that happened last night. So I know I was awake because I pulled the sheet up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I thought, that is the weirdest thing. I don't know why. What was that about? Um, and at the time it was a really strange response by me because I'm not a person who's ordinarily, not in those days particularly, ordinarily frightened. I wouldn't be frightened by 
stalker in the house or even a, because my husband used to travel a lot and on many occasions if I heard a strange noise, I would get up, go out to the kitchen, get the knife and I'd be walking around like this ready for the intruder, right? So it wasn't like me to be so easily frightened of these small beings who are only about three and a half feet tall that I could have easily kicked out of my way. But I didn't have that response. It was very strange. So that was my experience with them. I think most humans would react in that manner, and that's probably why we haven't had full disclosure yet. Yes, maybe. Um, First of all, um, it's one thing to say we're not alone in the universe. Actually, it's highly probable that we're not alone in the universe, as scientists say now, particularly those who study exoplanets. Um, But it's a whole different ballgame if we say they're among us. They're here and they're walking among us because you're going to get people who are going to say, I knew my neighbour was strange. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That person I work with, they're definitely an alien. (laughs) I mean, you could imagine the anarchy on the street Mm -hmm. once that became a full-blown conscious awareness. It had become an anti-alien movement by a lot of people, you know? Right. So you're still doing UFO research after 33 years. What inspires mm-hmm. you to keep doing the research? Yeah, good question. Um, uh, what inspires me? I think, um, well, number one, I can't not do it. Every time I've tried to, to walk away, things happen. I go, oh, you know, I have to do, I feel drawn to come back to it because of a situation that's occurred where, someone suddenly else is stepping away and like, mm, I don't want to let things fall apart in our organisation, put it that way. That's one thing. Um, <clears throat> I think I think that if we can um, take on the knowledge that we are not alone in the universe um, and then from there go, what does that mean? What does that mean for humanity And what does that mean for me? And it suddenly goes from who are they, where do they come from and why are they here to who am I and where am I from and why am I here? So there's a great crossover for me uh, in asking the big questions that reflect back on the the questions for us as individuals. Mm -hmm. Because if we are part of um, a cosmic neighbourhood um, somewhere buried in the backwash of the the milky in the Milky Way in the backwash of the universe. Um, who else is out there, and how do they get beyond the struggles that we're going through right now? How have they moved on and survived as an advanced race, an advanced society? And how do we do that too? How do we go beyond where we are now with all the problems that we have in the planet? Um, between, you know, with um, differences of opinions about um, um, divisiveness of races and philosophies and religions um, and environmental situations and all types of things. How do we move beyond that in a balanced way that where we can become a a self-governing planet for the betterment of all? I think that's really the bottom line of it for me. You know, how do we how do we do that? And there's a lot of steps in between. Mm. And I have no doubt that uh, 
many of us will reincarnate to, to continue with that mission, that's for sure. Now, you mentioned kind of a cosmic neighborhood. Do you believe that the Galactic Federation is real? I don't know. I, I don't. I, I'm not really so much a believer in anything as a person who looks for evidence, for sure. Um, and I don't need as much as evidence as my um, nuts and bolts um, colleagues, but I, I do need to have something to base that on. Um, and um, I'm not sure. I, I, I really can't say either way. No. What have you come across in your research that made the existence of UFOs and or ETs a certainty for you that they're real? Mm. Yeah. Um, well, um, I've had about um, seven sightings now, one a daylight sighting of my own, and that experience, which I don't know what that was, Um and let's let's face it, we don't know what whether these are ETs anyway properly. Um, well, I can't say. There are other people who've had encounters who would say yes, they are. Mm. Um, um, the witnesses that I've spoken to. I mean, I've spoken to about I've lost count now. Some somewhere between probably up around three and a half to four thousand witnesses over those years. And after a while, you get to know. Um, you know, boxes get ticked in your mind. And it's and then we have the evidence that is nuts and bolts. You know, these these craft are landing on the ground and leaving indentations in the ground. People are describing physical craft down to a T, but over and over and over again doing things that for a long time have been beyond our own technology. And then some of them are describing beings emerging from those craft. And those descriptions uh, are repeated over and over and over again. It's either they're real or there's some sort of strange mass hysteria that's going on on the planet and it's happened all through history, mm-hmm. you know. So I think, I think when is enough evidence, enough evidence, and let's get on to the next conversation, where do we go from here? You know, yeah. Besides greys, what are some other alien beings that people have encountered that are common? Well, during the 90s, we had people, we heard of people reporting reptilian type beings, which meaning that they are humanoid, but they have skin that is thicker, more like, um, well, you know, reptiles basically on planet Earth. Um, and they had eyes like them, they would have, um, uh, pupils that were vertical, but we didn't get a lot of those reports in Australia. Actually, very few. Um, we had we had a lot of the the greys. Uh, we had a lot of um, taller uh, beings like greys. We had reports of um, what they called mantis beings, which you know look very much like praying mantises. One of those reports was actually from a senior police officer. Here in Brisbane, he's no longer with us now, but that was a very strange case. Um, it went on for some time too. Um, so um, there was more of a wide variety. There were smaller beings, taller beings. Colors were different. Some had blue skin, and they were skin like dolphins as well. Very um, sleek, smooth, and bluey gray. 
Um, on the rare occasion, we had beings reported that were um, gold or white in colour. Uh, we had men in black types of experiences, whether they were extraterrestrials or non-human intelligences themselves, I can't say. Some people believe that they were. Um, yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot of different types. What about certain crafts? Is there a certain craft shape that people see over and over again? At different times, yeah. There were um, classic disc shape, uh, which people still see today, although there were a lot of that, not more of those during the 1990s. Now, um, actually, during that whole decade, there was a lot more of everything in the UFO community, mm-hmm. a lot more of alien abduction experiences and um, descriptions of seeing craft close up. So we got a lot of uh, good sketches that we collected from people. Um, sometimes they would see a long, narrow um, craft. Uh, there were some we received that were sort of um, like the roof, Roof shape of a house with a flat bottom, uh, and elongated, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, many different shapes. Um, we had people reporting orb shapes, so circular, luminous shapes like a full moon, though I actually saw one of those. Um, and um, oh, shapes like um, people reported seeing mulberries, mulberry shapes. Uh, or raspberry shapes where the little knobs <laughs> on the fruit, it actually had uh, different lights on each of those knobs. Um, one particular one I'm thinking of was a gentleman who rang and he was very ill and he said, I have to tell someone before I die. And he was driving along one day and he came over a hill and was looking down over the valley below and he saw this and he'd driven down. And this, this long craft, it was elongated, almost like a submarine, he said. Um, and there were a few of those. But it had a, um, in the front, it had like a, a big round black window. And underneath, he could see that there were um, legs folded up and the bottom of the legs, there were like acorns, acorn shapes. So a really wide variety that people have reported to us, Yes. It sounds like you're saying there was a lot of UFO activity in the 90s. Has the activity decreased over the years? Is it really low now or or how is that now? Yeah, um, we seem to hit around uh, 2000, a lot of the reports started, they changed. Before that, during the 1990s, we had a lot of abduction reports, a lot of alien abduction reports. Almost all of the reports to us were of those types. Then around 2000, they changed and they became like a mixed motive cases where people would have um, abduction experiences and they would also have positive experiences. And some of those would be of healings. And it's almost like those beings who were, and those types of positive experiences were more human looking beings, uh, very attractive human looking beings um, who wore long suits and body, body, um, body in case suits and um and it was like they came to to repair what the uh gray aliens had done during the abduction experiences that's what some people were reporting so there was a mixture of experiences going on there then by about 2005 
everything just started to drop off. So these days, the types of reports that we receive are, um, if they're rich and full of detail, they're always historical, going back decades. Um, But these days we get a lot of people sending us images of lights in the sky that they've taken on their smartphones and we're getting like a white dot in the black screen. You can't do anything with it. So it's almost like um, those closer encounters um, whatever was, whatever or whoever was involved with those, they withdrawn. And I think that might be because um, we now have technology that can bring some of those down because the military certainly wants to get that technology, reverse engineer it and use it for its own military forces. Mm. And I think that's probably why. Do you think that there are alien races out there just outside of our atmosphere, around the planet, that are having wars with each other? Highly likely. (laughs) Beings are beings all through the cosmos, perhaps. Um, Some people have reported that to be true. They've learned that through their encounters. I I haven't had that sort of interaction with extraterrestrials, I can't say. Um, But it's, it's quite possible, yeah. It seems like there are more and more people showing up that are saying that they're alien contactees. Is that true that there are more reports of people being contactees within the last five or 10 years? There could be, but um, they're not reporting that to us. Um, They're probably reporting it to authors of books who write about that topic, um, Mm. which some of you mentioned before. So I I know a researcher in New Zealand who's having, she's written a book called The Dual Soul Connection. That's Susie Hansen. And people are contacting her because she's had her own experiences on craft. Uh, And um, so people are talking more directly to authors of books these days about those types of things, yeah. Mm. So it's highly possible. I've had a couple of guests on that have told me that they are mothers of alien-human hybrids. Do you know anything about that type of program going on? Yes. Um, there's certainly uh, reports of women who, um, you know, in the past have reported having um, their eggs removed, uh, and that was going on for a long time, a long time, um, and it could have been going on through history. And um, they were, you know, those, sorry, I meant to say, Fetuses removed, not eggs, fetuses, although eggs were removed in the past, but fetuses removed from them and those fetuses were taken away and they were matured somewhere else. Uh, And uh, then later on those um, women who had those missing fetuses were taken on board craft to meet their children. Now, I know one particular case, and there are a few of these, but one particular case that comes to mind was reported to me uh, some years ago where a woman was taken as a child on board a craft and it was a big craft and she said she was she was being walked around with beings holding, one of them holding, on each side of her holding her hand, and she could see it was like being in a, in a jail where you'd have rows and rows of inmates, Right. Uh, on top of each other. Well, these were rows and rows of glass in, glass jars with what looked like human fetuses inside of them. 
and she was looking at them as she's walking past, didn't, not quite understanding that as a child, but later on as an adult, then going, this is what I was seeing and could you talk about it. Um, now, there's a lot to be said about, um, or has been said, I should say, about extraterrestrials or these beings anyway, um, you know, creating, being planetary gardeners basically and uh, seeding planets and then taking life forms to those planets, which is could be what's happened here on Earth. We don't know. There are certainly some holes in evolution, that's for sure. So, um, so they're, um, um, you know, delivering these these fetuses to perhaps other worlds for reasons that we have no idea what that's about. But some of those uh, um, little beings are being matured, and the mothers, the human mothers, are allowed to to meet them, hmm. and they know yeah. that they're out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Do you think that global warming could be caused by ETs making the planet more habitable for them? Oh, I don't know about that. I'm no I'm no solar scientist, but um, you'd have to talk to someone like, about that. Um, I guess anything's possible. I've never been asked that question. I have to really think it through. <laughs> I brought you into the level of science fiction. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I don't know that they have a reason to to take to have inhabit this planet, um, unless it's got something to do with inhabitants inside the Earth. Perhaps I don't know. There are plenty of planets out there that they can, you know, create this genesis effect on and turn it into whatever they want. Um, I think they'd be more interested in the resources on this planet um, because all all uh, life has, has a need for something. And I think that Earth uh, probably provides minerals and water um, for some of those that can be converted into all sorts of things. Again, things that we haven't even thought of yet. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, I have to switch gears on you because we are running out of time. So after watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and chit chat with you, ask you questions. Are you open to that? And if so, how would they contact you? Sure. They can contact me through um, the UFO Research Queensland website um, or our Facebook page or uh, my Afterlife Discussions Facebook page or my own Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm happy to talk to them, have a chat. All right. So what are the names of everything, again, so they can find you? They can just look for Cheryl Gottschall on, on Facebook. Fa- what, what is your, do you have a Facebook UFO page? Yes, UFO Research Queensland okay. is our Facebook page, yep. The website is the same name. Or, yep, it's actually it's uforq.asn.au. Mm. Um, I also have a another page, Afterlife Discussions, on Facebook. I have another one called Strange Encounters Down Under on Facebook. Uh, and UFO Research Queensland is also on Instagram and Twitter. Do you have anything else that you're working on right now that you want us to know about? Um, I'm working on um, escaping from Australia at the moment. <laughs> um, now I'm working on, um, I'm still following the connections between, um, you know, the UFO subject and uh, the afterlife. 
I, I still feel very strongly that there is a connection there that yes, to, yet to be uh, revealed, and we need a lot more people cross-pollinating topics. I think so that we can learn more about that. Um, and I've had, I have had um, even mediums contacting me uh, and ghost hunters saying they think they're actually talking to aliens, not dead people. So, you know, very interesting. Wow, yeah, that is interesting. That takes ghost hunting to another level. It does, yes. Mm. <laughs> All right, well, before we finish up, do you have one last positive message that you can leave with everyone? I think that we should always remember that we're not alone and that other races have been through what we're going through on planet Earth right now, difficulties, challenges, uh, where we have be forced to make choices that we wouldn't ordinarily want to make or to stand up and, you know, be sovereigns of ourselves. And I think that we have a lot to learn from other races who've already done that, that gives us hope that we can get through all these challenges that Earth has. That's a good message. Cheryl, thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thank you very much. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.